0: Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. This is part four of a podcast series that I'm doing with Sam Deerberger. Sam is an absolutely brilliant senior who goes to Rockhurst University. He has written two novels. He loves literature, politics, philosophy, music, and theology. He has an album, Them Who Haunt, which is available on Spotify and many other places, And for two years, he did a podcast called Those Film Nerds, which is available on YouTube and on many other sites. For three weeks now, Sam has mesmerized me with his stories and caught my interest with his intellectual musings. I hope you enjoy part four of my series with Sam Deerberger. We are going to pick up where we left off last week. I'll tell you kind of where I'm at with my faith life. I'll interesting. just mention one or two quick things. Yeah. Um, the first is trivial, and then the second one I think is maybe a little bit more interesting. Mm. The first is I'm reading the Bible right okay. now from cover to cover. Yeah. And I've decided for the most part I am just not going to look at footnotes. And if something just really, really kind of makes me wonder Then, okay, I'll look it up later. Yeah. But I kind of did the math, and I figured, hey, four chapters a day will get you the Bible in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been so doggone interesting that I'm uh, actually way ahead of where I'm supposed to be. I've finished more than, I don't know, 10 or 15% of the Bible. Really? But we are not 10 or 15% into the year right now. Yeah. Uh, today's January the 20th, so that's less than 8% of the year. Yeah. It's something like that uh so in any case um it's been genesis just you just rip right through that thing yeah it's filled with sex and violence Mm. all the way through a lot of the characters are chronic liars yeah like uh, abraham lies quite a bit so does his wife uh so does isaac and then so does the one after that Mm. uh jacob uh and just people are like cheating their brothers out of their inheritance and people are like ripping off their landlords left and right Like, the the amount of scandal in this thing is really, truly shocking.
1: And God is petty and vengeful.
0: Yeah. Well, that's (laughs) the other thing, too, is like, and then God changes his mind about things. God's like, I've had it with you people. I'm destroying you. And then somebody, like, begs and begs and begs. And then God goes, okay, I probably should destroy you, but I'm going to hold off for today, Yeah. uh, you knuckleheads. And so... I'm just kind of amazed, and and I can see where some people are like, hey, don't read the Bible. Let somebody else interpret it for you. Yeah. You know, just because, well, okay, like Genesis chapter 36, I think it's 36. That's like the dirtiest thing I've ever read. Yeah. You know, like people are like, I don't know, going after their daughter-in-laws, like romantically, et cetera. And then Exodus is terrific. Yeah. Absolutely terrific. And and you know, for the most part, you get to the end of Genesis, you have Joseph in the amazing technicolor dream coat. You've uh, got that character. He's he's an admirable character.
1: Yeah, for once. Yeah, finally. Uh, yeah.
0: And then uh you get into Moses. Moses, for the most part, is an admirable character as well. And yeah. and that's good because, you know, we we've talked previously about like literature that has like disgusting characters and mm-hmm. how sometimes it's still intriguing and it's good. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So, it, but it's nice to have an admirable character from time to time. Now, I, yeah. I did cut myself a break with it. Uh, there's three things that I give myself permission to skim, because, like, for example, you get into like, say, Leviticus. And yeah. It's like laws. Yeah. And like, there's all these laws governing behavior, like how to cook meat and uh, things yeah. like that, and. Uh, a lot of that, I just sort of give myself permission to like skim the chapter. Sure. So, and then if it's super interesting, then I would read the whole chapter, even though it was just laws, like do this, don't do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the other one that I gave myself permission to skim were basically like the temple or the ark building instructions. Mm. Like, okay, you need this much lumber. Yeah. You know, and so some people would say, well, that's actually about liturgy. And I thought, well, okay, yeah, but my goal is to read the whole Bible. Yeah. So if this is going to salvage sabotage my effort like by making me not want to read it anymore. Right, right. Because if it starts to read like how to build a shed in your backyard, then I just give myself permission <laughs> to skip. And then the third thing I give myself permission to skip are the lineages. Mm-hmm. Like when they're like, well Stacy begat Lacey, who begat yeah. Macy, yeah. who begat Pacey, who begat Spacey. Yeah. And we don't even know where Spacey is. Where is you know? Spacey? <laughs> so, yeah, I oh. would just start to say, okay, I can skim the begats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tad huh. begat Vlad, and that's where the Russians came from. I just <laughs> gave myself permission to skip that. you know. So, But I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's yeah. really great. And so that's probably the least interesting thing uh-huh. with my faith life. And then the most interesting thing is I think I've just decided – I just really want to be closer to God. And I think that just involves being maybe just a little bit more mystical, which maybe means spend a little bit more time in prayer yeah. or learn how to meditate. Yeah. You know, those type of things. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, just uh, try to be open to inspiration. Yeah. You know, maybe. anytime I. Go to Mass, and if I get a random thought, I always try to follow up on it. Yeah. Like, if, for example, I think, oh, I should call this person, then I call that person. Or yeah. if I think, oh, I should give this person a gift, then I give this person a gift. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's a little embarrassing, like, why am I giving this person a gift? Mm. But, hey, if I got the idea randomly, yeah, it just popped into my head in the middle of Mass, I just assume it probably is good.
1: I, I stopped getting mad at myself for the thoughts I was having in Mass. Okay. You know? like the random thoughts
0: yeah okay you mean like uh distractions like oh i could really use an ice cream cone right now yeah or i don't like that guy yeah
1: things like that i used to beat myself up about that and i stopped because i don't i
0: think that's good i think i bring in a notepad
1: oh you do i do well i should start doing that
0: why try to take notes on the homily because if my mind is going to wander it wanders a lot less if i'm taking notes
1: yeah Yeah. I
0: but I also write down all my random ideas. Well,
1: yeah, that's true. That's important. Yeah. My new thing with with mass actually is kind of an obsession with aesthetic beauty and Okay. Treating it like a like an experience. Okay. You know, because that's what it should be, I feel. I think so. I think. Because the physicality of Catholicism matters a lot.
0: I think so, too. I think that's super important. I think God's not supposed to be some abstract, far-removed... Thing. I think God is supposed to be a person that we're supposed to get acquainted with. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's what I mean by being more of a mystic. Like, uh, you know, I want to have a complex relationship with somebody who's real. Yeah. You know, and just like a family member, like, say, my sister or my brother, I mean, there's really an infinity to every person that we meet. Yeah. There's so much to every person. Yeah. So, I, So, I don't know. They always say don't put God in a box, and to me that means don't oversimplify God. Don't.
1: Well, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, uh-huh. no one comes through the Father except uh-huh. for me, I recently I've been thinking about that more and not as a, um, a salvation thing, but more like um, if you concede that Christ is fully human and that Christ represents, embodies the beauty of God here on earth, then you are more inclined to submit to the aesthetic beauty of the world around mm. you. And maybe say, Yeah, what's so wrong about going to a beautiful church and wearing beautiful clothes and
0: No, that's great. You know what I mean? Well, we talked earlier about there's this theory out there that everything became uglier after nineteen forty five. I think that's absolutely true. You know, we dropped the bomb and then after that, you know, people just decided human life is cheap. And uh, we don't have to respect populations, so we can make, like, slipshod buildings, and we can make clothes that wears out quickly, and Mm. we can, you know, make cars, and that I have planned obsolescence. And the fact that planned obsolescence actually became a business model, Yes. you know, instead of, like, making something that would last for 15 years, how about we make something that lasts for three years? And it's designed to fall apart. You know, so that we can sell you a new one. Yeah. And I'm not trying to blame capitalism because you could go over to the Soviet bloc and they had this architecture style called brutalism. Yeah. Which every day <laughs> building was basically looked like a gray cement block. Yeah. And like yeah. it didn't matter if it was apartments or if it was offices. Yeah. Everything was identical because communism wanted to destroy beauty. Yes. Well, so I, I just don't. Because think they hate God. They hate God. So they want to destroy beauty and then. Over here, I don't know what our motives were, but I, I think we just decided, well, maybe people are cheap and we don't need to make things beautiful for them Yeah, and uh, just the hell with everybody. I don't know what we were thinking by making everything as ugly as, as possible.
1: Well, I think you see it with the mask too. Okay, how so? Since
0: I well I mean the old fashioned churches were you know, they're rectangular and they've got stained glass and they've got beautiful statues made out of like marble. Yeah. And they have paintings that go back a hundred years and, and I mean these are the older churches. And they're ancient. Yeah, Yeah. and they feel ancient. Or or at least like even the ones that were like just 130 years old Yeah, or 150 that were built in, say, the 1880s on the prairie in the Midwest. Yeah. They were aiming to create something beautiful that they could pass down for like 100, 200 years. I I think think that's – but then in the 70s or so, there was this trend to make the church in the round. It's much more – Which was going to strip away like all of these Rococo – Thanks. Like, okay, we're not going to have statues. We're not going to have stained glass. Yeah, you yeah. know We're just going to have something that's
1: isn't the beauty in the community itself. Yeah, you know? I think
0: that was the theory, yeah. which is which is great. But you could also have a beautiful environment.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't. Here's something interesting. I went to uh, a Latin mass in. Okay. This was like two years ago okay. in on the Kansas side.
0: You're going to be a super interesting novelist cuz on one hand you see the dark side and you want to like embed yourself in the dark side and then on the flip side you have this deep religious sensibility. Yeah, well, yeah, you try. You got. Yeah.
1: Well, you don't and really you feel
0: guilty about it because you are Catholic. F-
1: you feel guilty about it. Yeah. You never get away with anything. But yeah. so I went to Latin mass and you cannot find a seat in oh. this tiny little parish. It's probably got about 20 rows of pews and then a balcony and like Five rows of folding chairs
0: wow okay. all the way on the back and it's popular
1: and you go, you go there and you can 't find a seat you're sitting okay. in the fifth row of folding chairs on the balcony you can't see wow. and it's a low mass too it's not even a high mass it's a okay. low mass, which means you can't hear what the priest is saying mm. and it's all of it's all young families okay they're all
0: what do un- you think's going on there what's driving this?
1: It's a yearning for beauty and tradition Mm. in the face of a world that hates both.
0: That's making everything disintegrate.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So –
0: I have well, a theory of decades, and I, I feel like 2010 to 2020 was an era of disintegration. Yeah. My, my theory of decades is kind of silly, but I'll just run it through. Yeah. You know, like, you know how, like, okay, roaring 20s. Right. You know, like, everything's exciting, Gatsby.
1: Uh-huh.
0: 30s is the Great Depression. And mm-hmm. then I think the 40s is kind of like do or die because of first World War II, but then also the Cold War with the bomb. Yeah. The fifties was peace and prosperity, but with a mushroom cloud hanging over people's heads.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh so and then the sixties was revolution. The seventies yeah. was an era of disintegration. Things yeah. were really kind of falling apart, stagflation, wars all over the place. The eighties was kind of like optimism, hope, and renewal. Yeah. The nineties was, Hey, let's just be as lazy as possible. <laughs> let's just have uh, just a relaxing time. Yeah. You know, maybe because the Cold War's over. But, you know, let's have Seinfeld, you know, which was supposedly a show about nothing. But it was really about manners and good behavior versus bad.
1: It's it's positing something. And I love Seinfeld. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the 2000s, like uh, 2000 to 2010, I think that was an age of anxiety Mm -hmm. because we just had wars all over the place. It started with September 11th. Yeah. Uh, And then in 2010 to 2020, it just seemed like everything was falling apart yeah you know like uh not just the United States, but many countries were engaged in a cold civil war with the with each other yeah. with themselves, yeah. you know like uh the populations are pitted against themselves, it seemed like it was irreconcilable, yeah, that's kind of my theory of decades, yeah,
1: and you kind of had a revolt at the end with brexit and yeah. Trump and yeah. Everyone yeah. else, yeah, so, which is
0: part of the disintegration, and then somebody trying to like reaffirm, uh, I guess, maybe a traditional view of society somehow. Yeah, that well, with Brexit for example, that hey, our nation is important. Yeah, you know, our people are important.
1: It's a it's a waking up yeah. from the
0: sleep of globalism. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, instead of just like everybody merging into like one big globe, which absolutely is not going to happen because no. I just don't see where these other countries like. I'm sorry. Russia is going to want to retain its own identity, and so is China. Yeah, and I bet India is too. India, I bet they're not on board with this whole globalism thing. No,
1: and I don't think. And I in in the American education system that I grew up in, it was all about being a global citizen, which is the most okay, the most BS term. I can well, imagine. yeah, I'll
0: tell you what. I think uh, from what I've read, I've read several novels that take place in Japan. And, yeah. Uh, their attitude is, is uh, hey, if you come visit Japan, that's wonderful. Yeah. We love to have you. When are you leaving? Yeah. Like, you cannot really come into Japan and immigrate into Japan. No. Their attitude is, is you are born Japanese. Yeah. And if you're not, then, hey, we love you. You're great. Yeah. Come visit. You know... Uh, leave. Yeah. And come back
1: later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't fully assimilate.
0: No, can you? No.
1: And I just think America's gotten too big. Okay. You know, in that way, because there's just.
0: What do you mean we got too big?
1: Well, I talk about this with my dad all the time. My dad's like, "What unites us? What do we believe in?" And I'm like, okay. "Did we ever believe in anything?" That's a that's a good question.
0: Yeah, I thought know? about this a little bit. And I, I think that there's really about two eras in American history where you could say that we seemed like we were super united. Yeah. And the first would be about the first 25 to 30 years of the country. Yeah. Right up into like the end of the first five presidents. So the end of James Monroe. Okay. Who was uh, reelected with nobody running against him. Yeah. And he received over 80% of the vote. Yeah. And then his party took over and then it immediately split into two parties and then they started fighting like cats and dogs and then yeah. that sort of led to Andrew Jackson, yeah, which was considered to be taking the old order and completely upending it, yes. like king, kicking it to the curb, trashing it. yeah. So I would say like that first era from maybe about Washington all the way up to Monroe, mm-hmm. which is about a 30 year era, yeah. we were probably fairly united, although people could really pick holes with what I'm saying because Because there were some pitched battles then too. Yeah. But then I'll I'll give a second era. I would say roughly from World War II up until maybe the mid 60s, 1968. Yeah. People can maybe make the argument that, okay, we're in this post war glow. Uh, It's us versus the Soviets. We're clearly the good guys, the Soviets are clearly the bad guys. Yeah. But I, I feel like, gosh, maybe that starts to fall apart in the 60s because I just categorized the 60s as kind of an age of revolution. Yeah. You know, and, and all these uh, questions of civil rights and things like yeah. that are beginning to come to the fore. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, I don't know, maybe there's like a brief revival under Reagan. Yeah. You know, but even with Reagan, I was alive at the time. I mean, just there were plenty of people who hated Reagan. Yeah. And hated everything. They thought Reagan was going to lead us into World War three. Yeah.
1: And yet here he was winning 49 states in 1984.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he won 60 percent of the vote, but then there was just a certain a number of people in that other 40 percent. I'm not saying the whole 40 percent. Yeah. But, you know, there were just people who just passionately hated him. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It didn't feel like a United era at the time.
1: Yeah. And it's it. but my dad's always like, like, what ideals do we hold today? And
0: well, as a country, it's as really a, hard to see. It's
1: hard to see, and I, I don't know that.
0: Well, because I would say, hey, First Amendment, freedom of speech, and other people would say, no, we mm. have to shut those people no, up. No, we have
1: to shut those people up. And
0: other people would say, freedom of religion, that's in the First Amendment. And then other people would say, no, religion is a sham. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so it's just really kind of it, hard. It's an job.
1: unprovable hypothesis. We're,
0: we're in trouble. What does Gen Z think about all this? Because I personally feel like we're in a cold civil war.
1: Well, th- that's kind of what I was getting at with the Latin Mass.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because you you go to a church that does the new mass, like ninety nine percent of parishes do. Okay. And it's all the average age is like sixty. Yeah. And then you go to a Latin mass and the average age is like 22, maybe maybe lower because there's young kids there, young families. Okay.
0: I read a book maybe 15 years ago or so called The New Faithful. Mm -hmm. And this journalist went around the United States and she wanted to know which churches were growing and which churches were shrinking. Yeah. And I think the point she ended up discovering is bigger than even religion's. What she found was that the um, core of Catholicism was growing, Mormons were growing, yeah. uh, quite a number of the evangelicals were growing, yeah. uh, Orthodox Jews were growing, uh, mm. sincere Muslims were growing. And so the more sincere people were about their religion, yeah. uh, the more they were growing. So And those people couldn't get enough of it. So... For example, if they had, it like, a good Catholic faith and they found out, well, hey, we can go to church several times a week and we can uh, read books in our spare time and or listen to, like, CDs, you know, yeah. faith, yeah. they would do it. Yeah. And, you know, same thing for these Mormons and evangelicals and Orthodox Jews. So, in other words, like, if a faith was really pretty sincere mm. in what it believed, it was growing. And then she was saying if it were watered down, yeah. then people were not excited about it anymore. So she said mainline Protestant faiths are shrinking. No. Uh, like your um, Methodists, Presbyterians, people like that, you know, that were considered to be kind of like your wasp type of things, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Yeah. Those were all shrinking because, you know, she felt oh, like they were not really adhering even to the 10 commandments or they were just worried about offending people. And so they were trying to be super vague about things and, you know, like, let's embrace everybody. But the problem was is people would say, well, then why should I get out of bed on Sunday morning to go to that? And so then like you're more, um, I guess, liberal groups of Jews, same thing, straying away from the Jewish faith and, you know, um, ditto on every religion. So, like, the, the more sincere they were, the more orthodox they were. Yeah. And, you know, when I was a kid, orthodox meant those are the lunatics who are just like the crazy people. Yeah. When I got older, I thought, no, orthodox just means that you believe the whole thing. Yeah. You know, that if there's ten commandments, you believe in ten of them. Yeah. Like, you're not like, oh, well, seven's pretty good. Right. You know. Right.
1: As we would all be tempted to
0: to yeah. say, you know. Yeah, and, and also, too, like, the Orthodox people were very aware, as you've kind of pointed out earlier, like, as a Catholic, that, okay, I'm not doing this right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, messing up, like, every day. I feel yeah. guilty about this. I yeah. feel guilty about that.
1: Yeah. And is there is there a beauty to it? That's, that's the real question.
0: I think that's becoming very important to me. Yeah. That's really kind of what I was trying to get yeah. at. Because, like, as a younger person... I was very concerned with, am I following all the rules? Mm. And the rules are important. Yeah. They really are. But I think more important than the rules are the relationship. Yeah, You know, and I, I just feel like, gosh, isn't that how we would treat our family? Like, yeah. you know, it's more important that you love your family than that you adhere to every single rule.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because it's so, it's an age where you want moral clarity. Yeah. And you have... A you mean pope, this age that we live th- This age, okay. yeah. And you're trying, to be, you're trying to be faithful. And you have a Pope that mm-hmm. often speaks in ambiguities. And,
0: yeah.
1: You know, and emphasizes conscience, maybe. And you're like, I don't trust my conscience. <laughs> 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 I don't trust...
0: <laughs> Why? Is your conscience telling you the shoplift or something? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you you know, walk off with that stuff.
1: You never know. Well, no, it's... You feel like the exception to every
0: rule. You okay. Know? You know? Those rules are made for other people.
1: Those rules were made for other people. You don't understand. I I know what's going on. I've thought this all through. Okay. I, I can philosophize for myself what okay. what is and isn't right. Gotcha. You know? So... Uh, they're, really they're instead
0: Commandments. No, who needs those? Down, uh, down to pie.
1: Those me. are metaphorical.
0: Okay. Please.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. you know, so it's a lot of that. And, um, just, just reading, just, I'm, I'm listening to this book right now called Dominion by okay. a historian named, uh, Tom Holland.
0: I don't know this
1: one. Uh, it came out in 2019 and it's a, it's a crazy ambitious pro- uh, project and he's okay. a historian and he was always a secular historian and he, In 2016, as he was writing this book, he wrote a column called Why I Was Wrong About Christianity. Mm. And he thought originally that Christianity is just this minor sect that took over. uh, Okay. That just sort of randomly infected the world. Okay. You know?
0: and It just, wow, that's a really interesting, that's what he thought.
1: That's what he thought initially, and then he did all the research for this book, and he realized that, no, our world today, secular as it is, all of our assumptions and just our worldview really is just fundamentally Christian. Right. What is right right and wrong? Right. The fact that we even have a framework for right and wrong, the fact that we have a framework for human rights, is an outgrowth of Christianity.
0: Yes. And... I mean, that seems obvious to me, but I... Think yeah. If I studied philosophy to the extent that you had, then um, maybe that wouldn't be obvious to me.
1: Yeah. Well, he he takes the entire, he's tracing the entire Christian story. Okay. You know, right now I'm in medieval times. I'm in about 1300.
0: Okay. You know, but I mean, he really
1: he took it from the beginning. It's okay. and it's crazy what happens and what kind of doctrines develop when. Okay. And for one thing, okay.
0: It's great that you're reading this.
1: Yeah, it's sort of... Okay, for one thing, it makes you more Catholic or maybe more orthodox even because it's like, look, these evangelical sects... And I got lots of evangelical friends. I did write a whole book making fun of them, but...
0: Was that the second (laughs) book? The second book. Okay. (laughs) But I got lots of evangelical... you have everything in that book.
1: Yeah, I got... Well, the pastor was evangelical and he would say, we only... We go our only basis is the word of God. It's okay. just the Bible. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. who selected those books? Right. You yeah. know, what is canon? What's not? Yes. You know, do you want to read all those Gnostic texts? You can,
0: Yeah. you know,
1: go ahead and read the gospel of Thomas Yeah. and see what you think of it. You know? Uh, so it does make you more Catholic in the sense of, no, you know, revelation is actually contained in tradition as well. Mm. You know, all these doctrines, developed over time. Yes. There's no prescription about any of the practices we see in Christianity today early on. That's not to say that the early church wasn't very Catholic. I think it was. It was very hierarchical. Yeah. You know, it back to like 300 AD mm-hmm. was when we have the first documented case of like saying, no, Rome takes supremacy. The Bishop of Rome takes supremacy over everything else.
0: Mm.
1: You know, so
0: was that sort of like a de facto thing before like okay well we have a pope but it's not necessarily stated out loud that this is where all of the power or doctrine flows from
1: It was because Peter is documented as going to going to evangelize in Rome okay after he left Antioch okay. so it was actually a second missionary place and you know there's a good argument to be made actually that Paul well first of all Paul invented Christianity as 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 we know
0: it okay why do you say that
1: because if you read the documents coming out of the council of Jerusalem okay have you uh yeah wow well i've kind of you know i've done a lot of research about it and the idea is like peter at that point the council of Jerusalem happens sometime in like fifty to sixty AD. Okay. And at that time, Peter and James were both preaching Christianity, the, the Christ messages, an outgrowth of Judaism, and it. This is like the Jewish Messiah. Mm. You know, this okay. is um, the the thing that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus is that. For Jews. Okay. Right? And it's Paul who's going all over the place preaching to Gentile and Jew alike, and he has these Gentiles coming up to him and saying, I'm really inspired by this message. I don't want to follow Jewish law. I don't want to get circumcised. Mm. And Paul says, you don't have to. <laughs> 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 and and Peter was appalled by this. He said, no, 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 no. Like, this is a Jewish thing. And it's Paul who really won out and said, no, Jesus is the Messiah of the world, mm. not the Jewish people. Okay. Not just the Jewish
0: people. So that's maybe bringing the Gentiles in. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, so he's responsible for that, as far as I can tell. And there's a good argument to be made that Paul should be considered the first pope, but because Paul, oh. Paul was traveling around so much, okay. he was all over the place, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay, um, that's an interesting idea. And
1: Peter was the one who set up camp
0: in Rome. I like, mean, according to, according. Yeah, like, tradition, I mean, Peter's the first pope, right? Peter is the first pope. Then he appoints, or somebody appoints Lioness. Yeah. After that. Yeah.
1: So that early lineage is not clear, but okay. that's, you go well, based off the
0: of books as though it were just matter of fact.
1: Yeah, it depends on which source you're looking at, but, like, yeah. You just
0: pick up a Bible and by, sometimes but, they'll list all the popes.
1: By the time, like, 300 rolls around, it's where we really start to see, like, no, Rome is, is the, the new Jerusalem. It's the seat. Okay. You know, and it goes back to Peter and that lineage is drawn out. So, but that's not, that's not a long time in okay. the grand scheme of things. No. You know? Well,
0: let me ask, where are you going with your faith personally? Are you going to end up in the Latin Mass? Or are you going to be, I don't know, are you going to turn into Mel Gibson? <laughs> so you're going to be like a Latin Mass I don't want to be that. I don't want to
1: be that. I think they need to coexist along with each other.
0: Oh, the tradition or like the typical mass that we have and then the Latin Mass.
1: Yeah, I think what I'm really looking for at this point is reverence. Okay. You know? And I don't you know, Francis keeps talking about a Eucharistic revival. Uh huh. And to me, I don't understand how we can have a Eucharistic revival without cracking down on kind of the exterior the auxiliary things surrounding the Eucharist. Like Okay, give me an example. Um. Well, here's something. I mean, I grew up Catholic, and my parents did their best, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah. you, you know, sometimes... Sometimes we would skip Mass on Sunday for one reason or another. Okay. It wasn't the default, but it certainly happened a lot. Okay.
0: You know. Every so often.
1: Every so often, you know. And canonically, like... By church law.
0: Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed like, to do yeah, that. For people who don't know, who are listening, who may not be Catholic, um, in the Catholic faith, you are supposed to go to Mass every Sunday. Uh, it's a requirement. Yeah. It's considered to be a, a mortal sin uh, if you don't. If uh, It's considered to be a very bad sin. Yeah. There's two kinds of sin. There's venial, which is minor, like, um, I don't know, stealing a paperclip. Yeah. And then there's, like, mortal, which is really bad. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. considered to be very bad.
1: And in today's world, it seems like, out oh, really, is that?
0: So, yeah, I mean, people sleep in, people uh, go golfing, Yeah, you know. is it, It's so crazy. And actually, the pandemic accelerated this, I think. Oh, yeah. Because, well, because you could oh, just we, watch mass at home, which a lot of people did. Yeah, in their pajamas, sitting on the couch, eating a bowl of cereal. Yeah. And you know? it's like, well. Yeah. And then if you were watching a tape of it, you know, like a recording, well, you could just back it up. And, you know, if some if the phone rang in the middle, you could answer the phone and pause it. And yeah. there was just lots of ways for people to be comfortable. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it should, should it be, you know, the question comes down to what separates Catholicism from the rest of Christianity. Hmm you know, from the other Protestant sects. Well,
0: okay, but that's belief in the Eucharist, right? That's belief in the Eucharist, yeah, the I Eucharist think. the Eucharist is. I mean, people will... This I is think. what Catholics believe. They believe that it is the legit body and blood of Jesus Christ. And other Christian denominations believe that it's a symbol, that mm-hmm. if we give you bread and grape juice at our service, that it's a symbol of the body and blood, but in... Catholicism. We believe in what's called the miracle of transubstantiation, which during mass, basically the bread and wine turns to body and blood. Yeah. Am I saying this correctly? I, I don't know. I'm not a theologian. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, your reading is just so much sharper than mine, and it's more recent than mine. Uh, well, I
1: just think that I, we're shooting ourselves in the foot if we think that we can go to mass virtually.
0: Okay. Yeah, and
1: I don't think that that was helpful.
0: Yeah, look, I I think Zoom and all the rest of that, uh, just from from the school setting, it's been proven. There's tons of articles that it's just garbage. It's just a terrible way to educate people. There was going to be maybe 10% of the population that was going to benefit in a big way from it because they're just wired that way. And then the other 90% of the population was not going to benefit from it at all. I mean, obviously, people can learn from videos and they can learn from... Uh, the internet, etc. But, you know, for most people, this was just a very terrible thing. And I think it created a mental health crisis in this country and it made the average person gain about 15 pounds. And gosh, you know, we're, you know, several years past all these lockdowns now, but I just feel like the uh, the lingering trauma for a lot of people is still there. I, I think uh, a lot of these these sad notes that we've been sort of discussing have just been very bad. I think people got used to being by themselves. I think people detached. I think people are maybe just a little depressed or a little sad. Yeah. I I think anything that we could do that would cheer people up, pull people out of it, would really be a good thing. I think people should throw more events at their house. I think they should invite their friends over. I think, you know, they should play silly board games. I think they should... I don't know. They should get out there and do something. They should talk talk to strangers. They should talk to strangers. That's a really good idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: I joined a jujitsu thing. Yeah, how's that going? Well, I love it. And the thing that is really good uh, is the people. Yeah. You know, because I'm running into like a whole group of people that ordinarily I don't think I would run into. Mm. You know, I, I've been a teacher for most of my life. Uh, teaching at UMKC was just absolutely great because I met people from all over the world. Yeah. yeah. I met people from every continent. They pull know? everybody. Yeah, it was crazy. I, I met people from, you know, Kenya, um, Czechoslovakia. Um, I had probably about 200 students from the Middle East, wow. from multiple countries all over the place. I people wow. from South America. You know, I would get into 45-minute conversations with people after class, and I would just ask them about their country. Yeah. And just, like, want to know everything about their country. You know, people would have interesting discussions in class. You know, there was a girl from Syria who was very happy to not live in Syria anymore. <laughs> You know, because she <laughs> yeah, just said it was just not possible for people like her to get a fair shake yeah. in Syria. And uh, she said crime was zero, though. And then people said, well, why is that? And she said, well, because of executions in the public square. Yeah. You know, that if you hang people and leave the corpses up for three days, then it, there tends to be very little shoplifting. Yeah. You know, and I I don't want that here. No. You know, by any stretch. But just having those type of conversations and Learning, you know, how different people live and what is their country like and then what their attitude about places here. Yeah. I met one guy from Indonesia. I think it was Indonesia. And he said, this is the greatest country speaking about the United States. And I said, why is that? And I thought he was going to say freedom of speech, freedom of religion, bill of rights. And he said, beer. (laughs) Buy beer anywhere. Yeah. He said, you don't even need a reason. It's on sale everywhere. (laughs) need a reason in Indonesia. Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay, Man,
1: but How it does. It goes back to that question about physicality. The, yeah. uh, to me, the the question about going to the grocery store, like yeah. we were talking about in the previous episode, yeah, or receiving the Eucharist. To me, it's the same thing yeah. in a way. It's like be there. There's a metaphysical thing that happens yes. when you're with another soul. Yes, because we're kind of alluding to Descartes with this these uh, questions about finding God, but Descartes sort of accelerated this idea of, well, mind and body are two separate things.
0: Did he? Yeah. Is that his fault? Yeah, I think so. Okay.
1: It goes back to Plato, but it's it's mostly Descartes' fault.
0: Oh, well, John Paul II, my favorite pope, had theology of the body, and yeah. he was basically saying, you're really not a body and a soul. You're more of a yeah. body- soul hyphen body, or body hyphen soul, It's really just one unit.
1: A body is a physical manifestation of the soul.
0: And I really like that. And then some other people who are just maybe a little bit more different than, say, Catholics, they'll say, well, you know, you really are pure energy. And Einstein had this theory that energy is matter and matter is energy. And so... Your body is just really a representation of energy, and so you know they're the same thing: energy and matter. Yeah, if you I, want to, I like all of this. If yeah,
1: I think that's important.
0: I did too. You well, know. also too, you That's like how the martial arts is going. Okay, it was. It's been nothing but one shock after the next. Yeah. First of all, can I make my body do it at my age? And I guess I'm lucky. I guess I I sort of can. I'm not great at it. Yeah. It's taken me months and months and months to just start to become a little comfortable, but you're never gonna get comfortable with it because ultimately you're battling with somebody else. You you do a lot of practice where you're learning and you're cooperating, but in the last six minutes or so then they have you just actively wrestle. Ugh. And and here the thing is is like I, I've just learned I have so many failings. Like, okay, in America we have three feet of personal space. Yeah. Like we stay like three feet apart. If somebody comes in a little bit closer, then we wonder what the heck is this person doing. Right, right. You know, we feel a little creeped out or whatever. Well, in here, you are better off, like, I mean, people just, like, lie right on top of you, you know, and then they choke you, you know, and then they, like, uh, yeah, put their own bone in their wrist up against your carotid artery, and then they start to make you pass out, you know, and you have to tap out, you know, and that's the thing that makes the whole thing work because, you know, they'll put you in an arm bar, and if they kept going, they would break your arm. Yeah. So then you tap. So that they don't break your arm. You know, so they can like dislodge your shoulder, break your arm, crush your wrist, make you black out. Like and there's all kinds of jokes that people have associated with this. Like you have to remember the tap because you don't want to run out of practice (gasps) partners. You know, you got it. Well, and our you instructor gotta. is very funny because then he'll start saying things like, "And now you can gouge out the eyes." Oh my yeah, God! It's like the nicest disposition, and what he's saying is just the opposite of his super nice yeah. disposition. Yeah. All in all, these podcasts I heard all the time about how the martial arts people are the nicest people. I bet. Well, it's been true. Like everybody there has just been very sweet, very generous, very yeah. kind, yeah. And, uh, and and I think it's because they could kill you. Mm. You know, because there's also kind of a cliche that you hear on podcasts that if you do martial arts, this will be the toughest thing you do all day. Yeah. So the rest of your stress will go way down. Right. I think that there's a lot of truth. I, it.
1: I, I bet it's a breath of fresh air too in a world that. It's
0: digital. It's
1: so digital and, like, so, and it's the emphasis on safety. Yes. It's just everywhere. Yes. You know. Well, and
0: and we do have to practice that, but I I think oftentimes, like, safety, the major problems with safety is, uh, gosh, people are not going to live a life. Yeah. You know, people don't want to ask somebody else out on a date. Yeah. You know, or girls don't want to accept a date. Yeah. Uh, you know, people don't want to ride on a motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, people don't want to have an adventure.
1: I don't think we were made to stay safe. No. You know? No. And and that's really...
0: Right. You know, somebody once said you can either have a safe life or you can have a valuable life. Yeah. And I mean, all life is valuable, but do you really want to just be shrink-wrapped and in a plastic bubble, like, until you're about 98 years old?
1: I think the astonishing thing about COVID was we found out that a lot more people do than we thought. A, A lot more people are, like, comfortable with living in their house.
0: They're really worried about the safety aspect. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, when you teach school and you have, like, say, 100 students per semester, you realize that there's a certain percentage of people who are just very timid. Yeah. And, you know, since they're young, I'm trying to do my best to sort of gently coax them out of that. Yeah. You know, to understand that nothing in life is guaranteed yeah. and that you have to take risks And, you know, I, obviously the more, you know, the less risk there is with situations, but nonetheless, nothing is guaranteed. Yeah. You know, and I just always think, well, hey, we were talking about, you know, dictatorships in World War II and Cold War and things like that earlier. Well, if society ever turned into a dictatorship, how would any of us have the strength to resist it if we're all just addicted to safety and comfort and convenience? I was speaking with a psychologist about a week or two back. I've interviewed him. His name is Adam Clement, yeah. and lately he says he's been thinking a lot about how convenience and comfort is the opposite of strength and resilience. <laughs> and I think yeah. there's a lot of truth yeah. to that. You know, naturally we we do want to have our comforts and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also good to you know, hey, lift some weights and toughen up a little bit and. You know, and have conversations with strangers. Yeah, like you were talking about. You know, put yourself in situations where anything could happen. Yeah. You know what is confidence other than uh, being able to accept some uncertainty?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, or what is courage other than being afraid and doing it, anyway. doing it anyway,
0: doing it anyway, and that
1: that discrepancy between your fear, yeah, and what you get out of it. Yeah. Is sort of the thing that propels you yes. through the rest of your life, because yeah. none of this. I mean, like, how the hell did I end up in this room doing a podcast with you? It's very. You know, the, the,
0: it's been prime.
1: I don't take responsibility for anything I've done. You just sort of accidentally fall into these things. Uh-huh. And I agree. It's been a lot of fun. But uh-huh. how did I end up here?
0: Um, it was, let's it, see, you know, my niece and we had interesting conversations yeah. and you had your own podcast. Yeah, it
1: was, but it was completely accidental that you overheard me talking about my podcast. Yes. You know, three oh, okay. years ago. Well, do
0: you think that's a God thing? It, it, do you think God is like I uh, I don't think God really cares, but... Okay. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> care if, like, uh, these two people do a podcast or whatever. Yeah, I don't. No, other people would say God cares about everything uh, down to the paperclips. And he... He does and he doesn't. I don't okay. know. I don't know. What okay. do you think? I think God cares about everything down to the paper clips. Really? Yeah, I. Th- I think. Uh, why go into such great detail? Yeah, I think uh, God creates like so many beautiful things. Out there. Like, I think everything that's alive, like every blade of grass and every frog, I think that they're all beautiful in their own way. Mm. Um, lately, I've been trying to read a little bit about quantum mechanics. It's very hard to understand. Yeah, I But, bet. you know, you just think about atoms and just how beautiful they are. And mm. then, you know, you think about, well, what's what about the big picture? We're just on Earth, but what about the rest of the universe? Like, yeah. let's say it's 20 billion light years across. Wouldn't it be cool to, like, visit some other place and see something that's extraordinarily beautiful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. think there's beautiful things everywhere. There except for after 1945.
1: <laughs> after that
0: <laughs> After that we just got utilitarian.
1: The world got very very ugly. But yeah. you know there's still beauty in it. Yeah. And uh yeah. that's what we have to remember.
0: Yeah.
1: You yeah. know, because it's uh the world is still It seems like increasingly, maybe it is a god thing. Every single time I get really pessimistic about the direction of the world, things like this happen.
0: Okay. You know. Yeah, you mean like you have some good moments with I, other people.
1: I have some good moments with other people, and it's it's enough to keep me going for another day or two. Okay. You know. Okay. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Okay. Let me ask about some of your artistic projects. Okay. Uh, because that's that was one of the things that I just really wanted to talk to you about. In the previous podcast, we talked about your novels. Let's just briefly talk about your podcast that you had. It yeah. was called Those Film Nerds. I didn't
1: come up with the name. Okay. So,
0: and I. You said you were like the second banana. I,
1: I was kind of. It was COVID. It was like May of 2020. And uh, my friend Will Spalding and I. How were, many
0: episodes did you do? Oh, a lot. And we can find it on Spotify and Apple and YouTube.
1: Everywhere, yeah. Okay, and
0: and the whole thing was you were reviewing films? We were reviewing, (laughs) it was a terrible time to start a
1: podcast about um, amateur film criticism surrounding new releases because nothing was getting released. (laughs) So we were reviewing like bad Netflix movies that were coming out. Okay. Some of them were good, some of them were bad, but... Um, I just learned about podcasting. It was like writing the first novel. You just kind of learn how to master an art form, not really master it, but like, how do I approach this? Okay. And,
0: uh, are the best episodes, the most recent episodes?
1: Yeah, probably. We got better as time went on, but we just got so busy and it was weird because my relationship with Will Spalding is like, was always about movies for as long as I've known him. We've just, when we hung out, we're watching a movie. Okay. You know, when we were talking, we were talking about movies and we were okay. like, we should just start a podcast.
0: So it was perfect.
1: It was awesome. And, and that's the kind of relationship increasingly that I value in my life. It's, it's kind of like niche. Yeah. We don't have to, we don't have to be best friends. Uh-huh. We can be okay. business partner. Like one time I remember after my freshman year of college, w- Will and I ended up at the same party accidentally. Okay. And we're like, this is so
0: weird. <laughs> 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 you know? When
1: worlds collide. When worlds collide, like, outside of the office. The worlds are getting mixed up. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But we, we got so busy, and we, we had a great time with it, and we did it for two years, and I think that's a good run. Okay. You know, it's about consistency, like anything else. We were yeah. recording an episode a week. Okay. But okay. between that and watching the movie that we were going to review, and, okay, you know, finding a time to schedule it, we are doing episodes at,
0: like, one in the morning. Was, okay. You know. Okay. Now, how about your music career then? Because you have—is it one album or two albums?
1: I have one album, but I have a second album that
0: I'm planning. Oh, okay. I'm plotting. Okay. okay. Yeah. How, how do you find time, uh, or or where are you going to go with this? Like, where would you like to go with this?
1: Uh well, I'd like to re-record the album.
0: <laughs> okay. Because,
1: like I said, those were just a bunch of demos. Uh huh. Uh, this this album, but they're fun to listen to. Yeah,
0: I mean, artists always have multiple versions of the same song.
1: Yeah, I mean, Taylor yeah. Swift is doing it, so it must be yeah fine. But
0: well, gosh, you can go to other artists. Like the Beatles made a whole career after their career. Of, yeah, like putting out I think at least six CDs of wow, these are like a bunch of demos. Yeah, so and, I, and people just eat it up. They don't they don't care, you know. And no.
1: so I got to a certain point with this album where I was like. Okay, I have this mountain of material. Okay. And what if I just get, you know, because I like to go running Uh um, in the morning. Okay. And I just thought one day, what if I just get hit by a car? Oh, no. And nobody knows about the stuff that I have been putting together for years. Yeah. I'm like, so, you know what? Let me just start releasing stuff. And no one's going to listen to it anyway, so it doesn't matter. You know, might as well just put out the demos. So okay. that's what I did. And I picked some songs that sort of fit together. Okay. okay. You know, thematically maybe.
0: Do, do you have plans to have, to keep going? Yeah, I want to. I want to re- yeah, record that second album, and you uh, want to re-record.
1: So I want to re-record the first one. The first the first album was guitar based. I want to make an album that's piano based. Oh. So. Okay. You know, writing on the piano is different
0: because. Do you want to be a solo artist? I don't care, or you, or with a band. I,
1: well, I'm a songwriter first okay. and foremost. You know, okay. I want people to record my songs. Okay, that,
0: that would make me very happy. Okay, you know, but if uh, the ideal artist came along and recorded your work,
1: I I don't care who wants to record it. If someone okay. can find something beautiful in the songs, then I'd be very grateful. Mm. You know. Okay, but uh, it's, those. There's a few songs on that album that I'm really proud of, and the rest of them are just kind of.
0: Which ones are you proud of? What are
1: I'm proud of the opening track. I'm 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 really proud of Rough Gentleman. That okay. song was written in about ten
0: minutes. Has know? songs just pop? The, that song just popped. Okay. You know, uh, because the, they're gifts from God. They're or from the other. They're, world. they're from somewhere. Okay. You know, and the last
1: song on the album is called uh, "A Burden Left to Lift."
0: Oh. Good title.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Uh, Rep
0: Gentleman is also a good title. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, it's and. Get away with words.
1: Uh, well, you know, I try. I try. But no, I. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's an instant. I highly recommend it. If anyone can play an instrument, just do it. Okay. Just sit and be receptive.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just think, um, Well, what do they say? Uh, We could live life without beauty or without art. We could live it without movies and books and music. Yeah. But we wouldn't want to. We wouldn't want to. I mean, things would just be so... I mean, if we just had accounting and airplanes, we could live. Yeah. But it just wouldn't be any good.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, what are you striving for? Right. You know? Yeah. And there's a certain sense of like, oh, songs are just sort of the emotional runoff. Mm. They're the perspiration of life.
0: Okay. And, <laughs> what does that mean? That's really an interesting phrase. It's, songs of the emotional runoff. I, I,
1: it just means that I think that the, the songs I often come up with just sort of are little keepsakes from okay. emotional tempests. Okay. That I encounter, you know, okay. and, but okay. but but they grow and they become beautiful in their own way okay. when you when you look back on them. There's lots of songs that I wrote that I just didn't care about when I was writing them, and then you go back and you try to play them again, and you're like, okay, yeah, that,
0: yeah. Do you, do you write them all out with um I don't know treble clef and bass clef and all the notes and things like that, or Never. Do you just write like poems, or what do you do?
1: Um. There's a lot of different ways to approach it. I think Paul McCartney has it the best. Is he's like it's kind of words and music at the same time. Okay. You know, you just sort of you sit down with a guitar or piano and you sort of just play some chords. Do you have a written
0: record of the song though?
1: uh, Most of the time, I do. Okay. I have a notebook with
0: the lyrics. You know, and there's a
1: lot of scratching out, and there's a lot of. What about the notes? Oh, you just remember. Okay. Yeah.
0: But if you write two hundred songs, how do you remember all the notes?
1: It just stays with you. When you write things, it's amazing. It's amazing. This isn't a me thing at all. This is I think this is well documented. Wow. Is when you write a song it
0: just stays with you forever. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's really amazing. Because it's
1: yours. I, I, there's something about creating something. It's like
0: a muscle memory type thing. It's like riding a bicycle. Like if you create it with music and words, yeah, it's sort of like a mnemonic device where it gets tattooed on your memory.
1: Yeah, you wow. don't get to there. There, you know, there's certain like chord changes that I'll forget. Uh huh. But and you got to stay. You got to play them a lot just for your own
0: technical. Okay. Uh,
1: maintenance, I would say. Okay. You know, like, just to be able to be like, okay, yeah. That.
0: Yeah, but you can't, like, if you write 200 songs, you can't play them all the time
1: to remember. Yeah, you just sort of have to cycle through. It's okay. really interesting. So okay. my poor roommates, you know, okay, <laughs> to hear me playing.
0: But I guess that's good then, because you probably get sharper and sharper with your own songs. Yeah, you do. And you probably think about areas to improve your songs.
1: You do, yeah. I'm weird in that you sort of, um, I have a really hard time editing Okay. Yeah. And I think like if a line is supposed to be there and I'm not sure why it's there, my inclination is to keep it Mm, because I just say, well,
0: that's what I was saying back then. And I don't want to betray my right myself. Well, there's a lot to be said for not tampering with the work of an. Of a younger artist, yeah, the younger version of yourself, yeah. Well, just because there's cases of people who I don't know they write something, say when they're 21 or so, and then they come back and edit it later when they're 61, yeah. And there's maybe something wrong about that.
1: Maybe I, I don't know. I
0: mean, I maybe if they uh, leave the original version intact and then create a second version, then that's fine. There's
1: an interesting debate about this because. My favorite Christmas song ever is uh, Fairytale of New York by the Pogues. Okay. Which is like, Shane McGowan just died this last year. They're the lead Mm. singer of the band. Um, But in Europe, that song is like their All I Want for Christmas is You. Oh, okay. It's like on the radio constantly in December. And this song is sort of a, they were an Irish punk band. And this song is very course, very Irish. Okay. It's about a couple of Irish immigrants. It's a duet coming to New York and falling on hard times during Christmas time. And he's always getting drunk and she's just getting high all the time. Mm. And
0: this is a Christmas song. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the, uh, the woman at one point calls the male singer, uh, the F slur for, for, for a gay person. Okay. And, Modern Sensibilities. This song came out in like 1988 or something. Okay. Modern Sensibilities in recent years in Europe, BBC Radio just bleeped the, okay. the, the word out of it. Okay. And um, Nick Cave, who is an artist I also really much admire, um, has a blog post, was personal friends with Shane McGowan. He wrote a blog post decrying this move because he says people who don't write songs can't understand that a song is its own entity. Mm. They look at it like just a collection of notes and words. Right. And that you can just remove one word, replace it with another.
0: And it doesn't serve their purposes. So they start censoring things to make it serve their purposes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's really interfering with somebody else's situation.
1: It's and it, he 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 views it. He he used very charged language when he was talking about this. He he, he, he views it as as a violation. Yeah, you know, it's like if you don't like the song, then don't play the song in its right. totality. Yeah, you know, okay. and that's fine. Yeah, but don't tamper with it. Yeah, you know. So I I tend to feel that way as well. With okay.
0: What I'm doing? I'll make you an honorary member of Gen X anti-censorship. <laughs> 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 you can ban my song. I don't care. I don't care. Just don't change well, the lyrics. people used to love to get their material banned because that insured sales. Yeah, people yeah. People wanted to know why are they banning this? Well,
1: you know the, uh, the the Billy Joel's song "Only the Good Die Young." Yes, which which has some things to say about Catholicism. Uh-huh. It got banned by the Archbishop of um, somewhere out east. Okay. Maybe like the archbishop of like... No, the archbishop of St. Louis. Okay. St. Louis.
0: Yeah, but how did they ban it when it could just be on the radio? They
1: just said any, uh, you know, they put out a decree saying a Catholic person should not be buying this record. Okay. You know? OK. And uh,
0: I mean, oh, look, if if somebody wants to say, hey, listen, your song is sleazy and stupid and yeah. anti-Catholic. Well, I think that's part of their free speech. And that's they what can they're supposed to be doing. offer whatever critique they want to offer. I, I but, think that's different than a band.
1: But before that, before that uh, decree came out, the song wasn't, the single wasn't doing too well. Okay. And then that became a news headline oh. because the church, it was the church interfering with, and secular of and, and why are
0: they yeah. censoring this guy and the
1: song exploded right you know right and Billy Joel, I love Billy Joel. I think he's yeah, yeah, hilarious. He's, yeah, he, he's good. he 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 wrote an art he, he wrote a letter to the archbishop Bishop thanking him for banning the song and said, <laughs> yeah, of "Would course you? He would, did. I got a record coming out next year. Would you please ban it? Right? Like, <laughs> right. I'd really appreciate it." No, I'm uh, just
0: saying. Like, yeah, yeah like I, I was a teen in the '80s. And yeah, the minute anybody got banned, they just thanked God. Yeah. Because that was just an explosion of publicity. Yeah. It may be different now. It might be. now when people get banned for something, then everybody thinks that they must be the devil, and that's why they got banned.
1: Yeah. I think it's a very select group of people that actually does the banning. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I do too. Because I don't... you got
0: a few censors and a few gatekeepers. Yeah. And a few technocrats. I just
1: don't see it when, you know, I look at the massive popularity of someone like Morgan Wallen, was just selling out stadiums across the country and mm-hmm. I don't like him. I okay. think I think he writes terrible music and I think his lyrics are boring. And okay. I, I don't subscribe to that worldview at okay. all of like The best things in life are girls and trucks, and
0: (laughs) I think it's inauthentic, and I think it's wrong, and it doesn't sustain anything, but... It was like uh, Bud Light tried to come out with an ad after, like, their whole fiasco where they destroyed something like 30% of the value of the stock (laughs) overnight, and anyway, they came out with this ad, and they're like, you know, when you're from the middle part of America, you know you're a hard-working person at the end of the day you know, in the land where a man's word is bond and a handshake is a contract. You just want to enjoy a good Bud Light. Uh, People said this is the most inauthentic, you know, crap ad that they've ever heard. You know who you
1: are. Yeah. Well, the thing about the the Dylan Mulvaney controversy is so interesting because it's like there is no way that Bud Light is that stupid. Okay. That they – Like sanctioned that. There's no way that they thought that this will hit our target market. Right. There's no way that they they couldn't have been that stupid
0: to it. That was, I think, maybe what sank them. Maybe.
1: Rock. Maybe. Yeah. They stood by it. Yeah. Yeah. And then their marketing VP got fired. Yeah. They had
0: a marketing VP who you know made fun of or criticized or disparaged like all of their earlier ads from the 90s and the early 2000s when they had like the. Stupid fratty Spuds McKenzie dog, you yeah, know, that yeah, everybody yeah. thought was hilarious, yeah, you know, yeah. And so she was like, Well, we don't believe in that type of humor anymore, right? So, right. okay, well, I mean, yeah. yeah, but people thought that was funny, yeah, yeah.
1: So, and let let people, you know, I don't, I, I understand the arguments about division, but like, let certain things, right, be for certain people, yeah, because the minute you try to break from your target right. market, right. is is the minute that you get more divisive.
0: Yes, you know. Yes. The well, minute you, that you, you are st- dividing yourself against your own people. Yes. Your own target market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and
1: it's like, okay. Look, if Target wants to promulgate Pride month, mm-hmm. then maybe that hits their target market. I don't know.
0: But, I don't know. They lost like 25, 30% of their stock value with that whole thing as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know. Is is Target for everybody? Like if someone like Whole Foods wants to do that. Uh-huh. Okay, maybe you're hitting your target market. Uh huh. Fine. Yeah. But then, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, right. you right. know, like.
0: It probably would be helpful for people to know who their market actually is. Yeah. And then treat those people with love and respect. Yeah. You and I were talking about sales earlier. Yeah. And uh, I just, I don't know. I think we both kind of put forth the idea that you have to love the customer and yeah. you also have to think that your product is really terrific. Yeah. And you have to mean it sincerely, yeah, you know yeah
1: well it, it it's it's it always goes back to the question of why do we claim to have a company culture to begin with, yes, you know, because if you're there's something beautiful about Walmart
0: mm-hmm. because i I adore Walmart, you do, I think it's awesome, okay, because. Walmart. I'm from rural America. For me, Walmart just is what it is. It is.
1: It just is. Yeah. That's the point. And okay. it's kind of just, okay, look. It's always in second place. The last 10 years, it's been in second place to Amazon. Okay. By yeah. every metric. Yeah. You know. Uh-huh. And so there's a beauty to, to supporting the underdog. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, so I, I always, I have Walmart Plus. Instead of Amazon Prime, I try to get things shipped from Walmart. You know? Hey,
0: okay, Sam, that kind of cracks me up. That yeah. you're, you put this much thought into it. I'm
1: not anti corporate. Okay. I'm not. Okay. I'm just anti top
0: dog. Corporate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Top yeah. dog needs to get knocked down a peg. Yeah. Well, hey, I think we've been going about two hours. Let me just ask uh, like two last questions. Okay. And we can just wrap it up from there. All right. Uh, second to last question Is there anything you wish we would have talked about that we didn't talk about? Oh, there's always things I wish we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to come back? And I'd like to do a whole episode on your favorite books.
1: Oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. Okay. That'd be a lot of fun. Well,
0: we'll make that episode number three. All right. Sounds okay. Then here's Sounds my good. very, very last question. Okay. Okay. I know you're going to law school, so let's look ahead 10 years let's just say that God really smiles on you and just everything works out in a very beautiful way, minus maybe one thing because nothing's perfect. Yeah. But, you know, otherwise, A-plus, life is just going great, you know. Uh, what does your life look like in 10 years? How old are you in 10 years?
1: <sighs> 32. 32. Wow. Um, well, that's a really hard question because I think... It's it's the cliche of like if you had told me ten years ago, being Kansas City recording a podcast with mm. someone talking right. about literature and okay. whatever the hell else,
0: you would have been like, "Hey, I'm twelve. Get off my
1: back." Uh, yeah, I would have been like, "What? No, you know." I, and I think part of me is scared to insist upon a certain way that my life mm. should go. Okay, you know. Because so so, so, so much much,
0: if I ask questions about career or marriage or children or anything like that, you would just prefer to leave that in the hands of God or those faith. those
1: sort of things keep me
0: up at night, okay, you know and in probably an important
1: way, okay, but you keep up at night and you're like, God, like reckoning with the fact that you, you know you might be charged with raising children, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. That's that's a horrifying thought, a beautiful, terrifying thought. <laughs> and so I, I usually think, okay, I, I start getting anxious, and ever since I've started paying attention to how to reduce my anxiety, I've started saying, okay, obviously you're not going to be able to solve this problem laying okay. in bed right now. Okay. Just keep living day to day okay and uh, leave the rest up to the creator okay you know
0: yeah okay so let life unfold unfold
1: it's a beautiful story